just come to you because you're the only one we can come to. You're God. You're our Lord. Father, you're worthy to be praised. That's why we exist. God, I pray that you would help us glorify you with our whole life. Father, I pray that we would not just use you, but that you would be our life. Father, I think about the nations, I think about all the villages I got to see with my own eyes that have never heard yet the good news of Christ. Not enough workers. Lord, I pray you would help us be faithful to pray what Jesus taught us. Pray for laborers because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be captured by you. I pray you would help us tremble before your word this morning. Lord, I pray for everyone who's here, for those of in our body who aren't here. I pray you'd watch over them, protect them, bring David Scott back safely. Pray for Laura Howgard that she'd recover from her hip surgery. Lord, so many requests that we don't even know. God, I pray that with those we would seek your face. God, I pray that we would save even this morning people that have maybe heard the gospel a thousand times but the spirit hasn't made it alive yet in them God I pray for Mark and Parker for all those working in their ministry, their family I pray that you would continue to save people through them continue to give them protection and boldness uh, to share God, I thank you for this church of believers that can gather in your name around your word. I pray that there will be a community within us, that we would be gracious with each other. We know we're all sinners, Lord. And we may offend each other often. Give us a spirit of love and Forgiveness and one-mindedness in the spirit and in the faith. God, I just lift all these things before you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. I chose this text this morning uh, because it's this text that continued to come up in my mind the last two weeks uh, when I was in Africa. 
in several different ways. It's the text that caused me to tremble for you and for me as Christians in America, or people who profess Christ. Um, and so uh, let's look at this together. Luke uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. So afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chuchaza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They will believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit is not matured. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. The context of this parable is interesting. Jesus, uh, we find out from Matthew, we get a good idea about the events that just preceded this. Jesus had just been teaching about, in Matthew 12, 33-37, about a tree. And he says, either make a tree good and its fruits good, or make a tree bad and its fruits bad. For a tree is known by its fruits. 
He says the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And then he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. He says your words reveal your heart. He's teaching that it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, behind the closed doors. Your words will either prove that you've been good soil, that you've been changed, or your words will condemn you. And then he goes on speaking uh, about his mothers and brothers. They said, your mother and brothers are here. They want to talk to you. He said, who's my mother and brothers? I'll tell you who they are. Those who do the will of God. His mother and brothers were thinking Jesus was crazy at this point in time in Jesus' ministry. He's going to get himself killed. And Jesus says, I'll tell you who's my family. Those who love and live according to the will of God. And then it's on that day when he was teaching those lessons, Matthew tells us that he left the house, he went out of the house, and he went down by the sea, and great crowds gathered around him. He sat down, he's going to teach, but great crowds come around Jesus, they've heard his teaching, they've heard his, uh, about his miracles, they've seen all this healing. They want a piece of him. And as he's sitting there, he's being pressed against the water. And so he gets into a boat and goes a little way offshore. And he teaches this text that we have before us today. When the crowd grew big, he taught the parable of the soils. Now, Every time at the end of sharing this last two weeks, this parable came to mind. And I would teach this parable. I would teach the Word of God has just been shared with you. And one of four things will happen. We are all familiar with this parable. We've heard it before. We might think we own it, and we know it. But the biggest danger, this parable is simple. Jesus tells us what it means. But it's so easy at the beginning to just say, I'm the fourth soil. I'm the good soil. And I just want to let you know, that when I'm sitting in Africa, watching them struggle, especially the second I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about me, and wondering what we need to hear from Christ's teaching here. And so what do we take from this parable? First of all, right after Jesus tells the story of the sower, in the four different types of soil that this seed can fall on, 
he says something interesting in Matthew's Gospel. They ask, why do you speak in parables? And he quotes Isaiah 59, or Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. This is one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. Most, believe, most Christians in America, I don't think, believe this. They ask him, why do you speak in parables? And he says there's a twofold reason. For those whom are given knowledge, it's to open their mind to truth. But for those whom are not, it's to harden their hearts, to close their ears and shut their eyes. This was Isaiah's ministry. He said, you're going to preach the gospel. And they're not going to listen to you. They're going to shut their eyes. They're going to close their ears. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to tell you what it means. But to these hard-hearted Pharisees and Jews who ought to hear, they're not going to understand these sayings. And it's my judgment on them. This is why the parables are spoken. Here's how Luke says it. And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. This is verse 10. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, in hearing they may not understand. This is a sovereign cross. This is a sovereign Lord. And God's word never fails. Whether it hardens or whether it enlightens, his word always accomplishes that for which it was sent. That's Isaiah 55, 11. He had to learn this because he preached and they didn't listen. And God said, this is going to be your ministry. You go tell the truth. And they're not going to listen to you. But I want you to share. But then he describes this parable. In verse 11 he says, The seed is the word of God. This morning, a sower is sowing. And it's me. And I'm teaching you Jesus' words. And it's going out to you. And it's going to land in one of four places. He says, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. These are the people that hear with their ears only for a moment, but there's no desire to cling to the message. And the reason is, is that Satan steals the effectiveness of the word, steals it away. You see, the Word is powerful. There's never a fault in the Word. But we don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against principalities and powers, the Bible tells us. I saw that in Africa more than I've ever seen it before. Almost every time I would get to the point, the good news of Christ, some distraction would happen. Amazingly, over 
By the end of the week, it wasn't a surprise anymore. It's just like, okay, come disrupt the conversation. Let's get on with this and get back to the gospel. Over and over again, I realized this doesn't have very much to do at all with my skill or with their ability to hear. It's a spiritual battle. When God's word is taught, Satan is present. In America, we, we, we begin to laugh about Satan. We tend to think that we're not in a spiritual battle. He's here today. In Losa, one of the villages I was in, I, I saw this take place over and over again. I would share, distraction would come, the call of prayer. I mean, one time, we're getting right to the gospel, the call of prayer, the guy says, i got to get up and go. And I'm like, well, you just admitted it. You don't know how you're going to stand before a holy God in your sin. i got to go to the call of you just admitted to me that a million prayers cannot wash away one sin. I gotta go. What's happening? It's being stolen. The good news is being stolen away. J.C. Ryle says this. From Satan comes wandering thoughts, roving imaginations, listless minds and dull memories, sleepy eyes, fidgety nerves, weary ears, and distracted attention. In all these things, Satan has a great hand. People wonder where they come from and why they find servants so dull and remember them so badly. He says, let us beware the devil. He is always at church. You ever wonder why the hardest time to concentrate is right now? Maybe it's because I'm a boring preacher. That entirely could be true. But if I teach you God's word, they are not boring. But is there not a battle over the word of God when you hear it? Why is the Bible the hardest book to pick up and read? You can read magazines, and you can watch the news, and you can do a thousand things you know aren't going to provide life for your soul, but to pick up the Word of God that promises to bring life and hope into your heart. It's a battle, and Jesus tells us why, and we shouldn't be surprised. And I just saw this parable come to life before my eyes. And then the second soil, but before we get there, I just want to share a little part from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. This is a book, it's an interesting book, entertaining book to read and spiritually beneficial, about a demon who has a nephew, and the older demon is teaching his nephew how, how to be a good demon. He's assigned a subject that he's supposed to attack. And there's a one point in this book where his subject begins to think about life. And begins to think 
about death, and begins to think about eternal things. And he said, here's what you do here. As soon as he starts to do that, tell him it's 11.30 and you're hungry. And you need to go get a bite to eat. And so as the guy realizes this, he stands up, he walks out of his house, and the traffic's going this way and that. And in a matter of a moment, he's not thinking about life and death and spiritual things anymore. That's the sort of battle we're in. The second seed, he says this, the ones that are, the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And we share the gospel, someone's real excited. I want this, I need this. How many people have gone to a crusade and heard a gospel preacher and had this exciting experience? The question is, is what happened there? Well, Jesus says, the rocky soil seed falls on soil that there's bedrock below. This would have been common in Jesus' day. You plant the seed, the seed tries to make roots. The roots can't go down. It shoots up into the plant. The plant looks really impressive. But then, when the sun comes out, a little heat is on the plant. It scorches and dies because there's no moisture. There's no, no depth of root. I saw this. Troy and I saw this so clearly. We went to Sia, this first village we went to. Our first order of business was to seek out this man named Hama. They had been witnessing to him for over a month. This was the visit where he wanted to be baptized on. We get there almost immediately. Uh, we go over by Hama's home. Here we see him. And they and they greet him. Hey, Hama, how's it going? And he just kind of does one of these. Hey. Kind of walks on. And one of the missionaries, Chris, who had been working with him, you could just see how disappointed he was as Pama wasn't that excited to see us, at least not in a way that we had hoped. Later that night after dark, Pama showed back up and did want to talk. Here's the thing. In this culture, if you follow Christ, your family will disown you. There's only one or two believers in these villages. In this village, there isn't one yet. Hama would be the first one. It would cost him everything. And you could pray for him. He still showed up. He knows the truth. He admitted it's true. But when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, you need to count the cost, it's a reality day one there. So this immediate reaction didn't mean fruit. Troy and I got to share with the guy, a group of 30 people. One of the guy's name was Muhammad. He seemed like the leader of this group. I got to the point where it was 
sharing about the Son of God after the gospel part. Here's where there's supposed to be a big brouhaha over God having a son. Because every day they go and pray, one of the prayers they pray is God has no son. This is the most difficult point. We got there. This guy says, starts talking loud. I think, oh great, what's going, what's going on here? Mark just said, what he did is he just pointed at me and Troy and said, if I love you, I have to love you. And he was telling everyone here, if you love the Father, you have to love the Son. And then a few minutes later, he spoke up and he started speaking again, loudly. And this time he said, it's not enough to believe it in your mind, you need to believe it in your heart. And then a few minutes later, another kid said, I want to follow Christ, this is true. The next morning, we go into the village and we see Muhammad with his friends. He didn't want to talk to us. What's going on? Muhammad, kind of like Mama, kept showing up on our path all day long. He's following us around. He wanted to be around us, but he was afraid because he's in the process of counting the cost. But here's my question. What would most evangelists do when they hear those seemingly supernatural responses? He wants to follow Jesus. He's saved. Well, we'll find out if he's saved in a few months or a year when he gets pressured. Or we'll find out if it's the seed on the rocky soil that receives it immediately with joy. An evangelist cannot tell if a person is saved. Only time and fruit can let us know these sorts of things. J.C. Ryle says this. This was just made me tremble as I read this. It is quite possible to feel great pleasure or deep alarm under the preaching of the gospel and yet to be utterly destitute of the grace of God. The tears of some hearers of sermons and the extravagant delight of others are no certain marks of conversion. We may be warm admirers of famous preachers and remain nothing the better than stone ground hearers. Nothing should content us but deep, a deep, humbling, self-mortifying work of the Holy Ghost in a heart union with Christ. Here's what he said. You might love sermons. They might bring you to tears. They might make you feel all sorts of emotional things. You might have favorite preachers you've listened to a thousand times, and none of that is good evidence that you are, in fact, born again. That the seed has taken root. I wonder if we believe that. What if you saw someone? They're always listening to sermons. They're always listening to preaching. They cry during preaching. People excited about the word of God. Still could be stony heart hearers. And then, 
So as I was there, I was thinking, you know, this second soil is so hard for these Muslims. I mean, they just feel the punch of it right away. The one thought I had is, I wonder how many people, how many professing Christians in America would remain Christians if it cost them what it cost these people. It terrified me. Jesus says there's going to be many people on that day that say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. They're emphatically saying, do we not do many mighty works in your name? Do we not go to church? Do we not cast out demons in your name? They're saying, we were the best of, of the emotional Christians. And Jesus said, I never knew you. There was never a heart love for me. Counting the cost. And so it made me wonder that question. But then I thought, you know what? This parable does not miss us. Yes, we can learn from this soil. It may get hard. I may end up in prison for preaching the Word of God in short order. Who knows which direction our country is going? Maybe this will be, you'll just feel this so much. But then, the third soil. Oh, America. Oh, the battle. In this parable, when we get to this soil. Verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit is not mature. There's something causes us to tremble. I was trembling this week for myself. For myself. We're fools if we just automatically hear Jesus preaching here and say, I'm the poor soil. This is me. This is an eternal life and death. And Jesus is giving us pure truth from his word. This is the one that looks maybe so good on the outside. You remember this story? Remember when Jesus, um, when he came from Bethany? And he saw a fig tree a long ways off. And a beautiful fig tree. Leaves on it. Whenever there's leaves on fig trees, that means it's the time for uh, figs to be on it, for fruit to be on it. And he gets up to that tree. And there's no fruit. And he curses that tree. And then he goes into the temple and he clears the temple. <coughs> Then, as they're all leaving, going back from there, the disciples say, look at the fig tree, it's dead. The lesson Jesus was teaching is this. That temple looks so holy. Those leaders look so great in their robes. And they fast and they do all these religious things. And he said, they're going to be like that tree. Who looks so good on 
it's scary to think that this third soil here of the word are people who profess good theology probably. Here's what Ryle says on this. The thorny ground believers have no objection to the doctrines and requirements of the gospel. They even wish to believe and to obey them. But they allow the things of the earth to give such a hold of their minds that they leave no room for the word of God to do its work. Hence, it follows that however many sermons they hear, they see nothing to better by them. A weekly process of truth stifling goes on within them, and they bring no fruit to perfection. And then he says, the things of this line form one of the greatest dangers which beset Christians a Christian's path. Money, pleasures, daily business of the world are so many traps to catch souls. Thousands of things which in themselves are innocent become, when followed to excess, little better than soul poisons and helps to help. Open sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. Except that we watch and pray, these temporal things may rob us of heaven and smother every sermon we hear. We may live and die thorny ground fears. Is it possible that we can agree with the gospel? We can say we want to believe the gospel. We can come listen to sermons. We can go to church. All the while, it's not changing us from the faith. How many things do we have vying for your heart in America? Talking to these African believers, showing them pictures on our iPhones, they just shake their head and feel sorry for us. All these things bind for our hearts. And then Jesus gets to the fourth soil, the good ground. He says this, And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Good ground clings to the Word of God. It accepts it in. Notice it says, it holds it fast in a good and honest heart. It doesn't say perfect heart, but it's an honest heart. The good soil will be honest about their sin. I saw a lot of potential for good soil in these Muslims. I would take them to the holiness of God. They would agree with it. Sin can't dwell in God's presence. Then I'd ask them if they were good people. And they'd say, yeah, oh, we're good. And I'd ask them if they've ever lied. Have they ever uh, looked at a woman with lust? Just pointed out a few sins and they all laugh 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had one guy try to say, no, I don't do those things, and all of his friends were on the ground laughing at him. Evidently, they thought he was a liar and a thief. But you know what? Honest hearts, I point out a few, they would admit, yeah, we don't know how we're going to get to heaven. You see, in Islam, there is no Savior. There's a hope that one day, Allah might show a mercy. They don't even know if He will. They do thousands and thousands of prayers every day. One guy said, I'm sick of beating my head against the ground. You know, whenever they call the prayer goes, you got to stand up, put your head down, up and down, up and down. There's no hope there. We have the best news in the world. There is no power in Islam other than the deception that Satan has, has in it. We have life to offer people. But the good soil is an honest heart that when it sees sin, recognizes sin, seeks to fight that sin, and goes to its Savior, goes to their Savior for forgiveness. The honest heart is truthful with what's going on inside, and it bears fruit with patience. This soul is not just the outwardly looking good Christian, but this is the one that, if you went into the home behind closed doors, when no one else is watching, this is where your wife sees you, husbands, and your children see you. You're not going to see perfect people, but what you will see with this soil is people who are humbled by God's word, fighting their sin, and when they screw up, they're apologizing and asking for forgiveness. There's a humble heart there. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the only seed that produces fruit. This is the only true seed of the Spirit of God. Will we take Jesus' teaching seriously? What a privilege we have to have the grace of God give us this word. That while we're still alive, we have time to repent and cling to God and pray, Lord, let my heart be the heart that's been killed, that's the good soil. See, what, what the fact is, we all need miracle growth. All of our soil, we're born sinful. Only by an act of the miracle of God can any seed ever produce fruit. And by the grace of God, in so many of your lives, your life isn't perfect, but you see the fruit of 
salvation, and that ought to cause us to bow down and worship at the grace of God. And we'd be fools not to run ourselves through Christ's teaching and honestly examine our hearts. My prayer is that you hear this word, you don't let Satan snatch it away. You fight to hear this word. You fight to not forget this, to get to next Sunday and not forget this word that it might produce fruit in your life this week. You might be sitting here today wondering, well, okay, explain the good news. Well, let me explain what I got to explain over and over and over again last week. By the grace of God, Troy and I got to share the gospel personally. You know, for me, not preaching, but personally, with more people in the last two weeks than I have in the last ten years. All day long, sharing the gospel. And here's what we would say. I've got good news to bring to you. I came from America because my Lord has sent me here to tell you good news. In order to understand the good news, you need to understand the bad news. You might think the bad news sounds like good news at first. God is holy, He's perfect, He's righteous. No sin can ever dwell in His presence. I would ask, do you believe that? Oh yeah, I believe that. Is that good news? Oh yeah, this is good news. Well then let me tell you the bad news. You're not holy. And I'm not holy. And none of us can have any hope to be saved in and of ourselves. And then I'd grab the rug that I was sitting on and I'd pull it up and I'd say, God can't shuffle sins under the rug. He can't just kind of cover them up. That's what they're hoping Allah will do one day. And they call that mercy. But if Allah ever does that, he just becomes an unjust judge. And he just throws his glory down to the dirt and says, sin against me doesn't matter. I'd say, you can't, God, God will never shut the sins of his own. They have to be paid for. And a lot of times I'd grab my Bible and I'd say, this part of the Bible, sheep and goats are sacrificed. Over and over and over again. But the Bible tells us the blood of goats and the blood of sheep can't take away sins. They're pointing to something. They understand sacrifice. When they have a baby, they sacrifice a goat. They were saying that a lot of them told me sacrifices would cover my sin. I said, it can't. A sheep didn't sin. You sinned. But then I'd say, you want to know what this the Bible talks about? John the Baptist, one of the greatest prophets, when he saw Jesus come, he said, Look, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one we're looking for. We need a Lamb who's a man, a man in sin. We need a substitute. 
We need someone to stand in our place. And I would say, imagine standing in a line. And Cephas said, they don't know what a line is. There's crowds in. So in the sand, I draw, here's a person, here's a person, here's a person, here's a person, here's God. You're standing in line. You know God's holy. You know you're sinful. How in the world are you ever going to face him on judgment day and not be sent to hell? You see, everyone that we talk to believes in hell. Everyone. And they all believe in God. We didn't run into one atheist. And I'd ask them, what are you going to do? And they'd all say, I don't know. I thought you were telling us you had good news for us. I said, well, imagine standing here and you start thinking in your mind. Only a man who never sinned could come and take my place in line and carry my name before that judge. And I would tell him, your sin is like a dirty robe. There's a lot of examples of dirty robes. Your sin is like a dirty robe that you have on. Jesus lived a perfect life. It's like a clean white robe. I said, if you cling to the Lamb of God, your only hope of salvation, your substitute, the Bible says what God does, what Jesus does, is He gives you His perfect role. He takes off your sinful role, puts it on. Those sins don't get shuffled under the rug. And Jesus takes those sins to the cross. And God punishes those sins in Christ and gifts his perfect life to the one who believes. And I would say, you work and you work and you pray and you pray and that can never turn your salvation. Salvation is by grace. Christ is offering you his robe. He'll take your robe. If you'll take his robe by faith, if he will be your hope, if you'll cling to him, this is the good news. And then I said, you might think someone who claims to be God or the Son of God is crazy, but this one who died on the cross was raised three, day later, three days later and appeared to more than 500 to prove that he's not a crazy man, to show that God, in fact, has paid for sins in Jesus Christ. This is one of my favorite parts. Then I said, and then Jesus, after many days in his resurrected body, right before he ascended up to heaven, told those who he was with, those his friends, those who were trusting in him, he told them to make disciples of all nations, to go to the ends of the earth. And I said, by the grace of God, Troy and I and Mark. We're here today because our Lord sent us to go. My prayer is that you'll cling to Christ the Savior and that you'll have a heart for these villages. Hundreds of villages we drove by never had a Christian. They're going to share the Word of God as far as they know, ever. And these are people that if you walk in in the village, they'll give you the best seat in the house and they'll listen to you. For hours on end, there's no one there to share. Let's pray 
for laborers. We saw so much. Mark said, you saw more fruit, potential fruit, just positive responses than many missionaries ever saw in their lifetime. God is so gracious. My prayer is you cling to this Christ in a way that it produces fruit in your life and shows that you're the good soil. Father, I do ask that this word will not be stolen away. I thank you for this message, this wonderful message that you've given us. There is no good news in any other religion that teaches you can be good enough to be saved. What a privilege. got the best news, Father. Help us be faithful to share. Help us be faithful to share. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.